1: Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and my goal is to make you aware of the best leadership practices, leadership trends, and thoughts around leadership. We talk about business issues that leaders need to be aware of in order to lead their businesses successfully in today's global marketplace. And this series is brought to you by Cinda. Cinda is one of Europe's largest nonprofit associations, digital associations, helping support SMBs, SMEs, go digital. Now, we bring you leaders and thought leadership from all over the world, but we also have listeners from all over the world. And I'd like to especially welcome our listeners today from Europe and the US, because we're going to be talking about a subject that's affecting us not just as leaders, but sometimes it impacts our businesses and it affects us as private people. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening wherever you may be listening from today. And what is this series about? Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success. In the series so far, we've talked about everything from gender balance and leadership to business values that may impact your organization or your individual career. So listen to us live. We are every Tuesday at 3 p.m. specific time. But if you miss us live, don't worry because because we are on every major podcast platform. So if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure you take away something for yourself or your business. Now, on to the subject we're going to talk about today. Behaviors show that people don't alter their privacy settings online. They don't complain when their phone numbers are asked for, and they certainly don't insist on encrypted email. So, we claim we care about privacy, but our actions show differently. So, what is happening now? When we don't care about it, or even if we say we care about it, somebody's going to care about it, and that's going to be governments and governing bodies. Regulations such as the European Union's GDPR and ePrivacy are trying to protect privacy, but it might be a little bit too late. Because there's so much data out there already. How do we ensure privacy? And then in 2020, all of a sudden, we were completely propelled into a completely digital world. And we were faced with with issues such as tracing and tracking. And this brought up lots of new privacy issues. But there are digital privacies and artificial intelligence privacies and increasingly moves from governments to ensure privacy, to filter and restrict content that are threatening to the promising of the connecting world. And today we're going to speak with an expert who knows about the issues that are going on around the world and what kind of privacy issues we are facing today and what we're going to face in the future. Stephanie Verlach is the European Affairs Director for CINDA, the Search and Information Industry Association in Europe, and she's the owner of SVM Consult in France. She she has over 18 years experience in European affairs. She has worked at the European Parliament in the Secretariat Service of the EPP and was rewarded the Françoise Fontaine Prize for her work on the EU opening into the Visigard countries. Today, she works with companies and institutions, helping them understand and implement policies and procedures that meet European guidelines, but also worldwide guidelines on data protection and privacy. So Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Kimberly. Glad to be there. Okay. So we we talked a couple of years ago. Okay. Yes. And yeah, and that was way before this, this 2020 pandemic where we're propelled into this digital world. So um what's what's happening now in 2021?
2: Yeah, so this is very interesting that you're mentioning, you know, the, the pandemic and the fact that nobody would have guessed uh, at the beginning of 2020 that we would be completely thrown away into a 100% digital world and you know well companies had to to shift and uh, to go remote overnight people suddenly uh, discovered that uh, you couldn't do anything outside of your home you couldn't go out in the places where there was lockdown and everything. So basically you rely on e-commerce and on everything digital to do your basic and daily things, you know, daily stuff, be it work or be it also private uh, private and personal life uh, handling. So uh, you, you're very right in saying that, you know, before that we, ha- we heard a lot of uh, complaints about why is it tracking my privacy? Why am I, you know, why is this company using this data? And suddenly everybody's being very uh, happy to share information and data as long as it provides you with the supply you need. So I think this is interesting because it shows that, you know, uh, we we tend to picture privacy uh, in a kind of defensive mode and especially in the EU because the regulation is is very strict uh, on privacy but it's kind of a bargain in the end right and and uh, we always say that data is a value but privacy is also uh, sometimes the price of this value right and the 2020 and the pandemic has shown that sometimes the price can change and the value can change too so this was just as a general intro but to to come back to the privacy framework what are we seeing in 2021 so we still have GDPR this is not going away and this is absolutely not going away because it's replicating all over the world. Uh, In the US, there are several uh, state laws now, not yet a federal one on privacy, but several states uh, have adopted the privacy laws, which are kind of constraining uh, and also opening up some some possibilities uh, but other parts of the world have also kind of replicated uh, the GDPR principles Brazil for example has the LGPD uh, enacted and it's very similar and even one country where you wouldn't think who you wouldn't think sorry would uh, would think about GDPR mirror Uh, like privacy, which is China, because China just adopted a privacy law. And, of course, some things are different in there, like probably some of the surveillance things, you know, but um, a lot of principles in the China privacy law are very similar to GDPR. So we can say that Europe was really at the forefront of that. And now GDPR has been in place for quite some time now, and uh, we, we're into the the second phase of, uh, you know, GDPR in place, uh, complaints hand, handling, the case is starting, the big money coming in, and companies really having to adapt and uh, having to live and to make privacy uh, enter the boardroom and be there uh, as privacy by design. Mm-hmm. So, It's really changed, you know, the way businesses and governments and also individuals uh, envision privacy.
1: Well, I, I mean, I'm surprised to hear about China. I mean, it's kind of yeah. contradictory if you think about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's the, the, the know, this is
2: funny because some of the articles, if you look at them from a legal, you know, just a legal and not a political point of view, are very similar. Like, you have to have some purpose for data processing, you have to have a representative in China in order to do business, you know, and to have a kind of a data, data privacy officer and so on. But of course, the underlying statement is that, uh, is that uh, you have to report everything to the government. So, you know, this is just, well, this is the major difference.
1: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, just a question on that when it comes to, because we talked about small businesses being propelled you know, into the digital and having to probably pay attention to some of these things for the first time. Um, we know that GDPR in, in Europe... Um, affects any company doing business in Europe. So even if in the you're in the U.S., you have to follow by the the European privacy. Um, now we're we're throwing all these other countries into it: Brazil, um, um, the U.S. So how is that working? For example, a, a European company who wants to do business in Brazil now or in the U.S. Is it under the same principle that they have to follow the that local? Uh, or governmental law?
2: Yes, so the principles are pretty much all the same, but the the devil uh, lies into the details, as you know, and this is really true in a regulatory world. The thing is that When you're targeting somebody uh, based in Brazil, for example, and if you're another company and you're you're targeting some customers in Brazil, obviously you have to obey the Brazilian uh, data protection law. But the rules that are in there are principle-based, very similar to GDPR, but they they may differ on the operational part. So it's a lot of uh, compliance uh, checking. For, uh, for a lot of companies to do that. And you were very right to stress that for SMEs and SMBs, it's almost impossible to go through. So you have to rely on advisors and uh, external help in order to flag out if the way you're handling data in your own country is, co- is compatible with uh, the other uh, international regulations. Mm-hmm.
1: And just um, before we go into the break, I have a, I have a really important question because to stay on the SMEs and SMBs for a moment, you just did a start, study in Europe where you questioned um, um, many SMBs and SMEs about GDPR and did they understand privacy? And the, uh, what What were the results of that and what do you think the reality is?
2: (laughs) Yeah, so it it, it was a very interesting study that we did with Cinda in partnership with one of our Cinda members, uh, UserCentrics. And the aim of the study was to assess uh, self-awareness of uh, small business owners, but really small, like uh, under 50 employees, you know, so uh, about data protection. And the the interesting uh, result is that everybody thought that they were quite aware and prepared and they did the right thing and they, they had everything in control. And we cross-checked that with a market research uh, operational, let's say, study about the reality in data protection practices in place. And the reality shows that, you know, what's, what's in place doesn't really match what uh, what they think. So they mm-hmm. tend to think they're fully compliant and they're they're. In, in the large part, they are not. So it's interesting to see that there's still some education uh, to be done and also some business, uh, business opportunities and uh, business explanation of uh, how you translate that in reality into operations and, uh, and into the various company divisions.
1: Mm-hmm. And and it's not just I mean it's not just the privacy because there's other regulations out there sure. right and so how does the privacy regulation coexist with um, other re- regulations such as yeah. open data regulation?
2: Yeah, that's yeah. interesting that you mentioned that because you know one of the key things we're seeing into in the regulatory and compliance environment in Europe is that it's extremely complex, and the the, pro- the one of the major problems is that sometimes regulation conflicts with each other. So, for example, we have the GDPR, we spoke a lot about that, the privacy, the major privacy regulation. But we also have a very important uh, other regulation in Europe, which is called the Open Data Regulation. And basically, it aims at uh, enabling business transparency and economic transparency in general. So the two aims are kind of contradictory because the GDPR restricts the access. Whereas uh, the open data wants to promote better access and better cross-border data exchange. So if you're a data company and you're sitting in the middle of those two uh, regulations, how do you cope? On the one hand, you have to protect your data, make sure you have very legitimate purposes, you have data security, you have data logs for the data privacy, you fulfill all the compliance and on the other hand you want to expand your data, uh, your cross data exchanges and uh, you want to have more uh, possibilities to reuse uh, uh, data from public sector for example so this is getting very tricky and a lot of, uh, of new advisors now are really specializing themselves into you know Assessing really what it is you're doing with, your, with the data you have and uh, documenting that very carefully just to make sure that uh, you can rely on the transparency as much as, on the, uh, as uh, protecting the privacy of your users and of your clients and suppliers.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean that that sounds very confusing, and I mean yes. from an S- SMB under fifty people, I mean I can't imagine how they can even understand that, and even larger companies or middle sized or large companies probably have to have data officers and 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 get advice on that. So um, we're gonna take we're gonna take a short break, Stephanie, and for our listeners, we are talking with Stephanie Verlach, and she is the European Affairs Director for CINDA, the Search and Information Industry Association, and she's the owner of SVM, a consult in France. She has over 18 years experience. Um, in European affairs and was awarded uh, the Frances Fontaine Prize for her work in the EU for opening the Visegrad countries. And if you'd like to reach out to Stephanie, you can reach out to her at Stephanie at Cinda.com. And she's under under Twitter at Steph Verliak and on LinkedIn under Steph, Stephanie Verliak-Mazan. And um, she also has another website, which is www.svmconsult.com. And to spell her last name, it's V-E-R-I-L-H-A-C. And this broadcast is also bring, brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda is one of Europe's largest growing non-profit digital associations. They support SMBs and SMEs in Europe and help them transition into digital. And they also help them understand privacy laws. If you'd like to learn more about Cinda, please go to www.cinda.org. And Cinda has just launched a brand new e-learning platform in cooperation with Boss Capital Partners. And this is a platform to help startups be successful as well as help companies be successful when they launch new products. So please go on to www.cinda.org and take a look. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America partner up with Amy Carroll focuses on getting more of what you want and need more easily with less difficulty. While this applies to business, it can be used for just about everything from relationships to leadership. You'll hear stories and tips to uplevel your communication and mindset to gain confidence and inspire action by making your partner look good, conflicts dissolve and
2: results improve. Partner Up with Amy Carroll is heard every Friday at 7 a.m. U.S.
0: Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on Voice America Business. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa play finding your frequency podcast if that doesn't work try adding on tunein or on iheart radio or on apple podcasts Say It Skillfully is my new radio show about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said. This is your host, Molly Chang. Call in and I'll help you find the right words to tackle any difficult conversation or ticklish situation you've been avoiding. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're a part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Join me live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's Business Channel. And today we're talking about something that affects us as individuals as well as as leaders, It affects our companies. We're talking about privacy and some of the regulation around digital and privacy. Um, we're talking with an expert. Her name is Stephanie Verliak, and she's the European direct Affairs Director for CINDA, the Search and Information and Industry Association. And she's also the owner of SVM Consult in France, and she has over 18 years' experience in European affairs. And before the break, Stephanie, we were, we're talking about kind of what was, you know, what's going on after we got propelled forward into this new digital world. And one of the things that came out of this giant propel is is the fast forward of AI or artificial intelligence. Okay, and um, you know, trying to keep up with that. So, you know, what is the EU? We'll start with the EU doing about everything that's going in in the area of artificial intelligence as as far as concerned with privacy.
2: Yeah, so that's that's a, a very big part of uh, the EU focus right now, and. To start with I should say that uh, the EU has a very ambitious goal into the into the AI uh, regulation world because they are envisioning AI as a global uh, in the global definition and scope if you want uh, so they they took they they want to target AI not only you know with deep learning and machine learning but also the general uh, larger AI possibilities that we don't even uh, we don't even really know yet about and they they're trying to be future proof uh, in the way they they tangle legislation which is always a challenge because you never know what's going to come up in the next months when we talk about AI so uh, that being said uh, in the in, at the end of spring in spring 2021 so at the end of May uh, the EU issued their draft AI Act uh, which aims at uh, being a little bit the replicate of the GDPR for the AI uh, environment, if you want. And so, it's a horizontal uh, regulation which wants to tackle everything that relates to AI. Uh, it will be based on uh, on uh, transparency requirements uh, required from AI providers. So, one of the uh, key elements being that uh, you need to warn users when they are ex- interacting with AI. You know, you need to be mm-hmm. able to, to see that you're interacting with an AI because sometimes it's not that obvious. And uh, one of the other key elements of the Draft AI Act is that the EU wants to uh, target it on a risk-based approach. So what, what do they mean by that is that they are aiming at classifying AI services in terms of risks, so uh, they, they go from the uh, uh, very high-risk AI to the low-risk AI. And if you're in the high-risk AI scope, then you have to compare with a number of uh, of requirements uh, on transparency, on a number of other things. If you're with the low-risk AI, then you basically have to notify that, you know, you're interacting with AI, but it's going to be very lighter a
1: regulatory approach. So can, can we just stop there for a second? Yeah. On, can you, can you, our listeners, do you have an example of what a high risk AI would be or a low risk AI yeah. would be?
2: So uh, for example, you, the EU even states that, uh, you know, you even have a, a higher thing than the high risk AI, which is prohibited. Uh, AI AI services that really should not be rolled out rolled over in the EU, and one of the examples of prohibited uh, AI services would be social scoring. So, for example, uh, for example, that something that may be done in uh, in you know uh, less democratic countries where. Uh, you're, you're just there's mass surveillance, and you're just you know uh, compartmented in uh, in this, your social life, depending on what you do on social networks. But also you know that uh, so social scoring would be definitely uh, not possible in uh, under the AI uh, high risk thing. Uh, another example of uh, high high risk AI is for example all that lies with uh, uh, facial recognition. Uh, you know, so to say that if you're doing facial recognition in, uh, in private places and in public places, then there needs to be some kind of boundaries and, and some, uh, some clear privacy protection uh, for the people uh, submitted to that. On the, the other hand, a low-risk AI would, would uh, for example, be interaction with a chatbot uh, on a customer service uh, website.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and something like facial recognition so so one of the part of the regulations you have to be informed so you' yeah. you know you you're you're walking in a street corner we have cameras and and they're taking your picture but um the the question would be what do they do with that picture right so you know, do they do they is it just there in the case that um you know a, a lot of cities have it for protection but they don't generally run it through ai but then if there's a crime or something they might i mean uh, it sounds complicated to me when you get to yeah, you know, how do you, how do you how do you inform people It's very complicated, and I have to say that, you know, we're just at the
2: start of the legislative process in the EU, so obviously this AI Act is going to be amended when it goes Mm -hmm. through, you know, the European Parliament and the Council, because there are some clear... uh, yeah operational and political stance that that are conflicting with uh, with some of the uh, uh, countries uh, public policy for example so just to say on this facial recognition I think we really need to separate between public and private uh, usage and also the fact that uh, whenever there are threats like Terrorisms and uh, and you know things that would fall into the fight against crime and terrorism. Then obviously there will be some legal key- caveat uh, on that. But uh, uh, what's interesting is that you know on the risk based approach is that there are also other elements uh, that could fall under the uh, risk under the high risk AI. Uh, for example, everything that relates to uh, consumer scoring for financial uh, information when, you, when you're getting a loan, or, you know, and if it's done by uh, AI, then you need as a consumer and as a user, at least to be informed and you need to be able to to get information about why your application has been rejected. Same thing for some of the some countries in, uh, in Europe and uh, where I stay in France are using that, for example, uh, you know, also algorithm application for a college uh, application. Uh, If you're running that, they are saying with the EU Act that uh, the user needs to have the the final consumer needs to have a way to interact and understand the decision and it shouldn't be completely left to machine, which in my view makes some sense. I mean, you, you need to have some kind of human oversight possibility and not let everything be run by the bot. Mm.
1: And, you know, I, it's been interesting to talk about that facial re- re- recognition because I have two two examples. One, I just read a study that they did in the U.S., um, um, not on facial regulation on the on the algorithms for for <laughs> education or loans, and um, where they were releasing prisoners and one prisoner based on how the algorithm was written and it was biased so that African American prisoners um, or non-white prisoners were getting not released where white ones were. Okay, yeah. so I mean that I can see where it's very important to have those kind of Regulations on this, but on the facial regu- on the f- facial recognition, I, I'm just thinking about t- right before the pandemic. Stephanie, I boarded a Lufthansa flight in Boston where they used facial recognition for boarding. I have no idea how they did it, and that was before the pandemic. And I've never seen that done again since then. Could that be because this regulation just started coming out? Because I was completely surprised that they were using it. I was uninformed. That's how we would be boarding. Um, Could that have to do with the new regulations coming out? Yeah, it it
2: could. Or it could also uh, be that, uh, you know, with the the pandemic and the fact that you have to wear a mask, facial recognition Ah. doesn't really work that well. But you know <laughs> let, yeah, let's that's... be optimistic and think that uh, you know it comes to the privacy and regulation side <laughs> uh i think i think w- this is one of the things that you know we, we're gonna hear a lot about in the coming year uh because when this uh, ai act is really just gets dis- gets into discussion uh in the european parliament it's gonna raise a lot of issues and you know it's touching everything because uh so, some things are obvious, like if you're boarding and you're they're using a facial recognition and you didn't know, then you have a legitimate claim to say that you at least wanted to be informed about that because you mm-hmm. may... You, you, you may not want everybody to know you know that you're boarding this plane uh, so it's just uh, I think it's quite legitimate it's going to be more tricky when you enter into the business uh, implication and uh, one of the key elements with the AI act that needs to be really carefully defined uh, is also the interaction between you know clients and supplier or between mm-hmm. uh, because uh, if you're using for example a cloud service provider that uses AI, then is it your duty to warn your uh, users or uh, clients or is it theirs? Do you have to go all along the chain like we did with the with the data protection liability part? You know, this is going to be some very, very big discussion that's kicking in in 2022.
1: Yeah. And and what was interesting, what you said at the beginning about um, EU was taking a global look at this. Yes. Um, are they, you know, are there parallels going on with the u.s or are they talking about the u.s because if you just think about the implementations i said i was boarding the plane in boston okay so i was on u.s soil flying a german airline landing in frankfurt i mean are people are are there some discussions going on um between the different nations about this
2: yeah, they try to do that but uh, they are they are at early stage because uh, as usual, you know, everybody wants to promote their own view. And uh, and I think this is going to be the next step too because as you as you are saying, everything has to be global and you can't just have a territorial approach for one part of the world, especially with AI because you know, sometimes you you don't even know where the AI service is based or or where it operates, and uh, the rules should be that it depends on the people you're targeting. But uh, yeah, I, I think this is a very important question to be still to be solved. You know, having a global approach is good, but uh, you need to have territorial uh, compatibility with other with other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing is also. Uh, yeah making some uh, making some clear uh, recommendations about what type of transparency uh, communication uh, providers and businesses that are involved in AI are going to have to do to their users because uh, it's one thing to say you interact with the with the algor- with the ai it's another thing to completely open up your algorithms for you know you you don't want competitors for example to get access mm-hmm. to that.
1: Of course, yeah. So, and do you think, I mean, the EU was, um, you know, kind of instrumental in this whole GDPR. I, I, I don't want to say it was born there, but it pretty much was. Okay, you yes. know, um, do, do you think that the EU is going to be kind of the leader going forward in this, this global effort to regulate AI? Well, it's their, it's their goal. Uh, but the
2: issue is, of course, that uh, AI moves really fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, uh, the the U.S. is taking a more light-based approach on that. So
1: I don't know if this is going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, and uh, la- last question about this uh, with AI. Um, you do you? When do you think they'll they'll come to the conclusion? I mean, it you know this is it was launched in May 2021. When are when are they looking at you know trying to come up with the final regulation?
2: No, oh, it's not going to be before end of next year. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, no. So it's going to take some time, and I can already tell you that uh, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of lobbying uh, starting right now in the EU.
1: I'll bet you. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and and the whole. Lot of that. Excuse yeah. me.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. We're going to take a short break. Um, and Stephanie, this is really interesting. When we come back, I, I want to, I want to go into something that hits us personally um, and hits businesses every day, and talk about some of the um, digital services acts and what's going on with the internet. You know, with the cookies and and everything else. When we get back, so for our listeners, we're talking about a subject that that uh, affects businesses as well as us personally. We're talking about privacy um legislation around AI, around data. And we're talking with Stephanie Verliak, and she's the European Affairs Director of CINDA, the Search and Information Industry Association, and she's the owner of SVM Consult in France. She has 17 years' experience in European affairs. And if you'd like to reach out to Stephanie, you can reach out to her at stephanie@cinda.com, And she also has a website, www.svmconsult.com. And she is on Twitter under Steph Verliak, and that's spelled V-E-R-I-L-H-A-C, And she's also on LinkedIn under Stephanie Veriak-Mazan. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda, and Cinda is one of Europe's fastest-growing digital nonprofit associations supporting SMBs and SMEs across Europe. And Cinda has just launched a new e-learning platform in cooperation with Boss Capital Partners out of San Diego, and this is a fantastic platform for startups as well as for companies for product launches. So please go to www cinda.org and take a look at cinda's new e-learning platform which is under the cinda institute and with that we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Tax laws are constantly changing. How can you keep up? Tune in to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. By working together year-round, we'll help you implement proactive tax strategies to ensure you're paying the least amount of tax possible and work to increase your business cash flow. We'll help you file your business and individual tax returns accurately, safely, and properly the first time. Listen every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at LeadershipForumInc.com.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice
0: America Business Network. Listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's Business Channel. And today we're talking about something affects us all. Um, It affects our companies, it affects us personally, and that's privacy and the legislation around digital privacy and data. And we are speaking with Stephanie Verliak and she's the European Affairs Director for Cinda, the Search and Information Industry Association of Europe. And she is the owner of SVM Consult in France. And she has over 18 years experience in European affairs. And she's become many awards in that area. So Stephanie, um, we're talking about AI and the the advancement and and everything. And I want to come back to something that that really touches each one of us. And I can tell you, I'm probably do the have the worst habit in the world. Every time I go onto a website and it says, show me the cookies. And, you know, I just say accept them all because I hate to read through everything there and I'm probably doing something wrong by doing that. Okay, <laughs> but but um, I mean, the this kind of control on internet falls in the EU. It falls. What does that fall under? Um, there's different digital policies that govern advertising and marketing in the EU. Could you tell us about those?
2: Yeah, yeah. So the cookie one, I mean, I think everybody has experienced like a very annoying, you know, cookie banner. And I don't think everybody, anybody in the world has read through (laughs) every cookie banner that you come come across because it would be more than a full time job or a full time (laughs) life to do so. So, yeah, uh, I think I suspect, you know, you're having the everybody has the same habit as you have and uh, you just click through if you if you're interested or you 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 just uh, yeah you just want to access the content. Uh, the the cookie thing lies into the former you know uh, privacy regulation, but the uh, actually the EU is uh, has embarked into a big digital revamp of uh, of the legislation. And one of the key elements that we're seeing right now it was is called the Digital Service Act, and the Digital Market Act. So again, a new ambitious plan from the EU. So just in a nutshell to explain what what it is you know it's the, it's the way the European Union wants to tackle big platforms that are interacting uh, in the digital world and uh, trying to put in place some more uh so some more important rules on content moderation, on uh, the possibility to interact with business users and have some kind of uh, of uh, of um, uh, site, uh, you know, uh, settlement possibilities. Also, uh, seeing you know who's a gatekeeper in digital and why, how should these gatekeepers? Be a little bit uh, proactive into opening up market and not not locking um, users or uh, or uh, business uh, business providers into using their own services, but promoting more a fair level playing field. These are the kind of elements that they want to prepare with the uh, Digital Service Act. And the Digital Market Act is more on the competition side. It's the one that uh, really uh, cares about, you know, opening up the competition and trying to make sure that, uh, yeah, that uh, there is no, uh, that there, everybody can enter into the digital world. So this is really, you know, the basic uh, in a natural description of the Digital Service Act and Digital Markets Act, which are currently right now debated
1: into the EU. Okay, so the dig- let's take, take the Digital Market Act first, okay, yes. competition. I mean, obviously, yes. you have your dominant players, okay. Yes. Um, um, you know, you look at Google, um, you know, we're coming up to Christmas, Amazon, um, you know, somebody, some little business has an e-store, you know, how do they get noticed? What What is the EU trying to do there? Give, for example, um, smaller platforms, the opportunity to be found and be seen, um, you know, to, to compete against things. You know companies like Amazon, or you know to be found in searches uh, mm-hmm. with all these huge dominant players out there. Yes,
2: yeah, so this is ex- like exactly the purpose, and uh, as you can imagine, it's not very well uh, perceived by a number of uh, key players in the Actec uh, environment, and also by some of the uh, some of the of, of the country, the other countries. Uh, but the idea with the digital market act is ex- is exactly as you said; it's it, it, it wants to tackle uh, the very large online platform. Uh, called gatekeeper in the EU Mm -hmm. jargon and kind of not force them to open up their platforms, but at least promote some more transparency in the way they are... uh, they are ranking, for example, different offers uh, in the way the bidding process works uh, in so on some of these platforms. You know, you're bidding uh, for a prominent placement, so that this needs to be really uh, open to the whole competitors under the Digital Market Act. And also, uh, it's, it's the first time uh, a regulation tries to define, uh, to put in place objective criteria as they call them in order to define what is a gatekeeper and uh, they they at the moment they're considering three major criteria so the first one is uh, you need to have a very strong economic position so be active in several markets uh, you need to also have a strong intermediation position so you link a large, a large user base with a large number of businesses and also uh, you have that position, uh, you've had that position for a long time or you suspectfully, you know, you suspectfully you're going to hold this position for quite some time. So we can mm. all think about some examples in uh, in different things. And I think it's, this is really uh, tackled, uh, tackling some of the GAFA, but also some of the bigger platforms, for example, uh, who are active in, uh, in Asia or in other parts of the world. And uh, the, the way it would work is, uh, is a, a kind of do and don't, uh, you know, uh, do's and don'ts uh, rules. So, for example, on the do's, uh, the DMA would say that you have to allow third party to interoperate with the gatekeeper's own services, in certain specific Ah, situations, okay? Mm -hmm. Or you have to allow their business users to access the data that they generate on the platform and use that for their own services. So, like the hosting, uh, you know, the hosting provider, the homeowners, for example, and things like that. And also uh, to have uh, independent verification of some of the ads uh, the advertisement processes, you know, so make sure that you don't promote uh, prominently your own uh, your your platform own uh, advertisement uh, for your own services in in comparison to your competitors. Uh, and on the don'ts, uh, you know, some of the things that could be prevented is, for example, uh, um, no pre-installed software or apps that are in a lock environment, but you. Uh-huh. you should be propelled to to open that up also to competitors, so in a sense it, it really goes into some Competition rules, you know, and trying to uh, adapt them into the digital
1: world. Mm-hmm. So I kind of think of it like this huge traffic jam with all these trucks, and you know, the little exactly. cars are in the back trying to go get through it. But I, I think that's good. They're making that initiative, you know, especially for the smaller pay- players exactly. to get yeah, to get a fair chance to get business. Mm-hmm. And the other one, the the Digital Service Act. Um, I, I had to laugh when you said it. Um, you know, content moderation. I'll come back to that, but you know. Transparency. I mean, on some of these platforms, try to find a customer service link. Okay. Yes. I mean, forget it. Okay. You know what I mean? You know, um, or even try to get a, a, a not even a bot or anything. You know, I mean. No, exactly.
2: And I think we've all experienced what you're just saying is that you end up on this huge platform and you don't even find a contact us uh, or a customer service, service page. You just can't interact, and in the end, you give up. And mm-hmm. This is what they want to prevent. They, they want to say that you have to have a clear uh, possibility to, to get a claim and to make a complaint uh, and to have a redress mechanism and an, an out-of-court dispute settlement system too. Because, you know, these platforms have, have huge corporations. They can afford the legal fees of going to court. The small provider
1: can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So um, we're getting towards the end, but I want to I want to just ask you a, a question about this. I mean, this is we're talking about Europe. So um, Europe is very consume, you know, protects the consumer quite a bit. Yes. Um, what does the U.S. tendency look on this? Yeah. So the
2: U.S. is also moving in some in some of these directions, but in a different way uh it's usually more you know principle based in the us whereas the the eu tends to go to stricter rules and regulations and uh, and uh yeah guidelines things and so on the but the us is uh is really moving on especially on the part on uh Content moderation, you know, and the, and the uh, protection of the freedom of speech, and the fact that uh, yeah, platforms shouldn't be shouldn't be uh, biased also in the way they promote uh, media and information and so on. They they're really, I mean, they there was some bad experience. Let's put it this way, um, and so now they're really moving on and trying to do that. The pro the major issue is, of course, it's going on at uh, at state level rather than federal level so mm. it's going to so- take some time to to come to a global approach in the US probably
1: yeah and do you think do you think the US will go to the federal level or that's
2: yeah hard? eventually eventually like in the privacy if you st- when you start having you know like you have in the privacy field you have uh, five to ten different state laws showing that uh, privacy is uh, is, a, is an issue, then in the end, it's going to end up in the Congress because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it shows
1: the need. Yeah. Okay. So as we get towards the end of the show, um, this is a lot of information, Stephanie. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think looking forward, you know, we have a lot of leaders out there, um, a lot of big companies. I mean, this is really interesting from a privacy, a personal privacy um, but when we come to twenty twenty two what what do you think are gonna be the three big things to look for um yeah, what's so- gonna happen? Mm -hmm. I would say, you know,
2: if I had to give three big tips, you know, you're a business, uh, you're a a CEO and you want the three big tips you have to look at, you know, on the regulatory uh, thing for 2022, I would say number one is still data protection, check your data protection policies and make sure that you're Compliance, but uh, compliance doesn't, it isn't set in stone. It needs to be a living process. Uh, so consent management, for example, is a very big thing. Make sure that, you know, you have that documented and yeah, you always document what you're doing with the data because in the end, uh, on the data, you know, the GDPR is all about what you're doing with the data and do you have a legal basis to do that. Uh, the second thing would be on AI try to assess how much you rely on ai you know how much ai services are you using are you selling uh, are your uh, suppliers and uh, and uh, and uh, and clients uh using and try to map out a little bit on that because you may end up in a high risk ai you didn't you know think about uh, at the very beginning so i would just do a mapping exercise at the moment and not not really worry but but try to map that out and the third one on the digital uh, services is, uh, yeah, make sure that you have some transparency procedures in place and that you have some clear business identification, uh, you know, points of contact, uh, possibility to interact with your uh, with your users and uh, with your uh, clients and suppliers, because this is g- going to become key and key. And uh, of course, I forgot to say, but you know, everything goes with uh, when you have regulations and you breach, you you break them, uh, you end up with sanctions in the end. And nobody wants <laughs> yeah. to have that.
1: So. Yeah. So yeah. I think those are those are three good tips because nobody mm-hmm. wants to end up with sanctions at the end, and and they're not little ones either, are they? You know, yeah. uh, they can be pretty big. So. I, really interesting um, a great you know we 're at the end of two thousand twenty one now two more weeks and we 're heading into two thousand and twenty two stephanie thank you for the tips. Thank you for letting us know what 's what to look for and what to prepare ourselves um, as leaders um, in two thousand and twenty two and as private people it 's uh, really interesting to hear in which direction is going and I will be really happy when I can find the contact Uh, button on some of these websites for customer service. Um, Those of our listeners, we've been speaking with Stephanie Verliak, and she is the European Affairs Director for CINDA, the Search and Information Industry Association, and she is the owner of SVM Consult in France. She has over 18 years' experience in European affairs. She's worked at the European Parliament in the Secretariat Service of the EPP, and was rewarded the Françoise Fontaine Prize for her work on the EU opening to the Visa God countries. Today, she works with companies and institutions, helping them understand and implement policies and procedures that meet European guidelines, especially in data protection privacy. If you'd like to reach out to Stephanie, you can reach out to her on Stephanie at Cinda.com. She also has a website, www.svmconsult.com. She's on Twitter at Steph Verliak and on LinkedIn under Stephanie Verliak Mazan. And she's also reachable through Cinda, and Cinda is supporting this podcast, and Cinda is one of Europe's largest and fastest-growing nonprofit digital associations. Cinda supports SMBs and SMEs throughout Europe and helps them go digital, and Cinda does hold conferences, and we're at the end of the year right now, and Cinda will start to do webinars uh, the beginning uh, every Thursday beginning January 2nd and Stephanie you have some webinars that were recorded on this subject right? So. Yeah
2: we get, we're we going to have a, yeah we had one at the end of November so if you want if you're interested just go to the uh, CINDA website uh, www.cinda.org and uh, you can listen uh, to the recording so you'll get more information on uh, what we spoke about.
1: Great. Okay and please don't forget to listen to us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Tune in to us and go to my website also or if you want to contact me, Kimberly Lewis at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com and with that, thank you Steph and thank you listeners and tune in again to us next week.